All right, so uh, welcome to another 20 Mile Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Williams, and I'm super excited to be here uh, with uh, AC Evans, Aaron Christopher, uh, AC for short, I guess. Uh, we'll get into that, but uh, we're super excited to hear uh, his story as a, as a founder and, and how he has uh, marched along a little bit about his 20 Mile March and, and a lot about his company and his story. So uh, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about uh, your role uh, in your company, uh, Drips, and tell us uh, a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, the role is co-founder and CEO. My uh, my partner of uh, maybe 15 years, uh, our CTO, Anthony, him and I have had many, many, many businesses together. Most projects, we would call them now, as we realize what, what a real business looks like, you know, with, with north of 70 employees. Uh, it, it's almost comical now that I think I took the role of CEO when we had four employees, you know, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's fun too at the same time, but yeah, so current role, uh, it changes year over year. Right. Um, but I, I, I was lucky enough to just bring in a COO, uh, six or eight months ago to help us as we've been kind of bumping our heads from a scaling standpoint, operationally, you know, the normal stuff, goal setting, reviews, comp alignment, uh, you know, just operational things that, that come along with scale. So I've been able to start doing more uh, thought leadership type things, uh, podcast, stuff like this, the fun uh, getting stuff. on the road. Yeah, the fun stuff, exactly. Getting more on the road, uh, meeting with big clients, meeting with big prospects, uh, things like that. So that, that, and then while also being able to lean back more into product, which is my passion, uh, automation and scaling the unscalable has been a uh, lifelong uh, passion of mine or ever since I saw my first little bit of automation, which maybe we'll get into that later. But, um, uh, we just hired our first, uh, product manager. So awesome. she works directly with me and, you know, again, like Tony and I, uh, for better or for worse, we can, spit out MVPs, pivot very, very aggressively, very quickly, uh, respond to market changes, client requests and whatnot, very, very fast. But that's because that's our DNA. You know, we, we, we bootstrapped, we always had our own little projects going, we built things to make money and not build things to raise money or to sell. Um, so that, that ability to be agile and counterpunch uh, we've realized is, is tough for a team, right? A mm -hmm. team of developers. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, they just spent two weeks working on something. We're like, yeah, just kidding. Throw that away. Uh, <laughs> we need you to work on this now. Uh, it can be very, uh, very disheartening. So, you know, yeah. our, our current, um, current phase, I would say, as far as product is again, we just got this product manager to help us, you know, uh, I, I know, I know my vision and it's in my head, but that's where it lives, you know? Yeah. And, to help us build a real roadmap to budget against it, to, to hire and resource against it so that we don't have to have our team kind of go down all these exits and then back up, and throw away code and, and have tech debt and whatnot. So it's, it's an exciting time for, for us from a, from a company, awesome. from a product standpoint. Yeah. And, and so you, where are you based? I actually don't know. We've always met at conferences like Vegas or New York. I, I don't think I've actually ever been to, to where your offices are. I'm not sure where you're even based. Most people have not. Uh, we're in Akron, Ohio, so it's not a not a huge tourist destination. Um, we I used to be able to talk certain clients or prospects into coming into town once when we had LeBron, and you know there are a lot of final games and whatnot. That was uh, actually a pretty easy time to pull people to Ohio, but 
yeah, uh, good hub city, you know, like we can get to New York and Chicago and down south uh, oh, yeah. relatively yeah. quickly. So it's it's not a bad place to be from the standpoint of uh, getting around very quickly. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I have roots here. I have family here, friends here. Um, so this is just home base. Yeah. So, so you, you grew, uh, born and raised in Accra? No, I born and raised in the Carolinas, North Carolina. Okay. Uh, so I'm a southern southern boy, southern gentleman. Um, moved in, to Ohio when I was 13 or 14 years old, something like that. Uh, then you know went through high school, did a little bit of college. Uh, that was right around the time I was realizing I was more of an entrepreneur than than a than an employee, uh, for for lack of a better term. Um, and since I realized that, and I, I got to a point where I could work from my laptop, I moved around a lot. I, you know, I lived in Vegas, I lived in California, I lived in Myrtle Beach, I lived in uh, Belize even for, for two or three years. Um, but I always came back to Ohio. Ohio was like, I would, I would go to Vegas, then I'd come back to Ohio, then I'd go to Myrtle Just Beach. It's like a good central home base, right? Like, yeah. 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 That's it's awesome. familiar. I've never thought of that because I always just think like, well, we're on the West Coast and oh, we got to you know, fly out to New York or they got to come out here. And, you know, you're, you're right in the center. There's, there are advantages to that. Yeah. And I have enough clients in L.A. and New York specifically that oftentimes if I need to get to L.A., uh, maybe there's not a ton of great flights, you know, uh, from Cleveland to L.A., but I, I will often, you know, pop out to New York, do some client meetings. And then there's always great, you know, lay flat seats and whatever, you know, from, yeah, from yeah. New York to L.A., so I, I try to catch the the fancy flights when I can. Yeah, cool. Well, one one cool thing about you being uh, from not only Ohio but the U.S. is that you're our first guest uh, outside of Canada. So oh, really great! Right. You, <laughs> yeah. you can we'll send you a, a diploma or a like a plaque or something. I, I would love that. Yeah, the first, first American. Great. First American, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and what, what's your education and, and background or, or, you know, you mentioned that you, you felt like an entrepreneur from a young age, but, uh, what, what's your background and, uh, look like? Yeah, I wasn't one of those kids that were like true bred entrepreneurs. Like I've always seen the story, like the kids that were, you know, buying, buying like bubble gum in bulk and selling them at school. Right. Mm -hmm. To me, that's like, that's like the true born bred hustler entrepreneur. I didn't have that, but I did have a really good work ethic. Uh, I think my first job, I was maybe 11 years old or 12 years old and I was like pumping gas, you know, at a, at a gas station or something like that. Uh, then I was a dishwasher and then I worked at a screen printing uh, t-shirt uh, screen printing company. And then I was a, a cook and then a waiter and this and that. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, education wise, I was, I was a very poor student, um, you know, like sub 2.0, uh, grade point average, uh, it never really, uh, it was just not great at curriculum. I wasn't into learning. Um, I was unfortunately at a school that uh, I was, a, I was a pretty good wrestler and it was a wrestling school. So I, I kind of got away with uh, a lot more than I think I would have otherwise, but almost failed a couple different grades uh, due to just not doing my homework, not being prepared for tests, skipping a lot. Uh, again, zero interest um, in the education side of things uh, until um, my, my wrestling coach, actually one of my earlier mentors, he, he told me about, um, cause he knew I was into computers. Uh, computers interest me. He said, well, there's this vocational school. I don't even know if you guys have these in, in Canada, but uh, like some, you know, there may be like a mechanic school or a cosmetology school, you know, things like that that are like uh, very skill driven yep. uh, courses. Yep. 
So I enrolled in this vocational school my junior year, uh, and it was a course called Digital Design. It was a new thing. You know, they had like silicone graphic computers, and it was all about graphic design and, and computer programming and things like that. And I, I went there for half of my day, and I went to my regular school for the other half. And the cool part about it was all the classes that kind of got cut from my normal education were ones that, to me, were superfluous anyway. Mm-hmm. It was science and history and just things that I just, I just wasn't interested in. I didn't really understand the, the application of it at the time. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't gravitate towards it. Uh, but the digital design school at Cuyahoga Valley career center, excuse me, Cuyahoga Valley career center, it's a mouthful CBCC for short. Um, it was great, man. I, I dug in immediately. I was a 4.0 student there. I stopped missing class because I was excited for the, the hands-on learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing really, really cool stuff. I quickly became top of the class uh, at, at, in, in, that, in that school. Uh, I got early job placement at the Brown Stadium. I was doing the digital design scoreboards for all of the uh, scoreboards. I was the one like designing the helmets clashing and the lightning striking. Oh, awesome. and. One of the coolest jobs you can imagine for like a 17, 18 year old, you know? Um, and, uh, so that, that's, that's my curriculum. Um, again, I was, you know, that, that brought my grade point average up obviously, but I was still at that point where, uh, I, uh, my, my parents were poor enough to not be able to help me pay for school and, uh, made enough money that I couldn't get any, any real aid. Um, so I, I did night school at Akron university for a couple semesters And it was just a repeat of my high school. You know, I was not engaged. I was not interested in statistics or whatever courses I was in. So I failed out of that very quickly, dropped out of college very quickly. Um, But it was around that time that I was starting to learn about online marketing and things. So it was, you know, when I looked up and I was making $100,000 a year, it was very easy to say, well, maybe college isn't for me. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I, this is kind of off topic, but, but the name AC, uh, did you have that before you wrestled or after? Because I'm just making the connections to AC Slater here. And Oh, that's super funny. Um, after, for sure. I remember watching Saved by the Bell, I think like anybody anywhere near around my age did. Um, did you know what AC stood for in Saved by the Bell? They only said it in like one episode out of like no. 500 episodes. It's, uh, it's Albert Clifford oh, wow. <laughs> was, uh, was, was AC Slater's uh, real name. That's why he, he was embarrassed by it. That's why he went by Slater, which was a much more badass name, totally. obviously. Um, no, I uh, I... I kind of went with AC uh, with business, actually. It was when I was like starting to go to the affiliate summits and the Leeds cons and whatnot. And it was just an easier name for people to remember. Um, that was really it, you know, it makes like it back, unique, back for sure. Yeah, it makes it unique. It makes it easy to remember. It's, it's, you know, it's, it was brandable, if you will. Um, but it's funny, my, my VP of marketing, he hates it because now I have like, if you look at my LinkedIn, it's like Aaron Christopher, AC Evans. He's like, dude, we got to dedicate, like we're losing all our SEO here. Oh, uh, yeah. Every time I, every time we ever get an award, it's always printed wrong. Every time I ever get quoted in, you know, a Forbes magazine or Inc article or something, it's always written wrong. It's like Mr. Christopher or <laughs> a, you know, Mr. Christopher, Christopher. Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just super funny, like how many, which ways you can mess that up. Uh, but I set myself up for that, for that, for that failure. Yeah. Yeah. One of one learning of many, right? What, what hobbies, like, what do you do when you're not working on drips, when you're not being an entrepreneur, what, what hobbies do you do? Uh, or do that's, you- a, that's a great question. I used to, so I have, um, like many, I'm sure, uh, 
I have my before baby life and I have my after baby life. And that means like my hobbies, my regimen, my work ethic, uh, what I obsessed over and focused over. So prior to having our daughter Atlas, uh, I was into competitive jujitsu. That was something I, I enjoyed very, very, very much. Um, it was time consuming. Um, you know, was, there wasn't a place super close, so I had to drive a decent distance, but that was probably my favorite hobby. That was one of the only thing, like to me, a good hobby is, uh, it should be an escapism for, for people like us, the type of personalities that are obsessed, uh, over their, their work or their career or their, or their, you know, uh, you know, their job. Um, so I think a hobby should be escapism. Some people have football, they can just watch it and they're watching the game. You know, I'm, I'm uh, not into sports, so that doesn't work for me. Uh, I haven't found many things that I've been able to do, unfortunately, yet uh, post baby that are a good hobby for me. Again, I had jujitsu. And when I say escapism, I mean, if you're doing the thing, you should only be thinking about the thing. Yeah. You know, so like when you're, when you're rolling in jujitsu uh, and somebody's trying to choke you, it's, it's like very easy to stay focused on that fact yeah. and that fact alone. Um, I also used to draw, uh, which I, again, don't make time for anymore, unfortunately. But I remember back then when I was free, draw, freestyle drawing, hours would go by and I was, it was yeah. in this very meditative state. Uh, and then the last thing that I had most recently when I lived in Belize was spearfishing. Uh, I would just go down, you know, 12 to 18 feet deep water and man, you're down there with a snorkel and a, and a literally a spear. Uh, there's nothing else to think about. You're just thinking yeah. fish, 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 fish. Oh, shark, shark, shark. You know, like there's no, every, everything else fades away. Um, I, I sense, uh, since, since right before the baby came and after I've gotten more into meditation. So I know that's not a hobby, but that, that is some that's sort of, of my escapism. Hobbies. Yeah. I think it's good. Um, I, I did almost a year straight once. I've seen yours. You're, you're, you actually, uh, your headspace stats were, you just embarrassed me. I was just like, oh my God, I got, I got nothing, you know, but I, I told myself after I saw your, you know, 10,000 days in a row or whatever it was, I was like, all right, I'm going to do a year. I'm going to do a year straight. That's my goal. That's what I'm going to do. And it, I swear it was, it was because of you and your records that were just awesome. unbelievable to me. Uh, and I did a year short of two days. Uh, yeah. which I know is not, is not really a year, but the two days, one was um, we had took our daughter to a water park for the first time, you know, and the other was something like that where we had took our daughter to, to do something. And, you know, when I, when I looked back, I woke up the next day after the water park panicked. I was like, Oh my God, I forgot to meditate yesterday. <laughs> and I was so upset. I was, it was so funny. I was so upset with myself because of the gamification, you know, I'm, like, yeah. I'm sitting there thinking like I could, I could, I could turn back my clock on my, on my phone and that would probably, <laughs> you know, hack the headspace. But then I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. Uh, but I was very, um, it was really, it was a really good moment for me because I realized like I was actually present with my daughter that whole right. day, my daughter and my wife, yeah. uh, and you know, if those two days I missed and it was only because of them, it was, it was worth it. Uh, but yeah, I, I love meditation now. I like reading, um, again, post baby. I don't get to read as much as I, I used to. Uh, but I, I love reading. It's so funny. Like back in, back in high school, I don't know if I've ever finished a book. I mean, literally, uh, up until I was maybe 30 years old, the first time somebody gave me a book that they were like, dude, this book will change your life. And I was like, a book, you know, like I'd never finished a book, you know, I'd, I, uh, you know like, yeah, I, and I didn't appreciate uh, 
I didn't, I didn't decouple education with, with school. You know, to me, they were, they were one and the same. And I, I just didn't appreciate learning and uh, betterment and improvement or whatever. But I would say, you know, it's funny now that I'm thinking about it. Like, I would say improvement is my hobby. Uh, oh. It's a core value of mine. It's a core value of trips. And that is something I think a lot about, whether it's, if I'm having a tough time with, you know, my relationship with my wife, I, I will get a therapist. You know, I will, I will work on improving that. And yeah. that improvement is is definitely a hobby and an obsession of mine that, um, you know, it's just something, it's something I enjoy a lot. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I, I can relate to a lot of the stuff that, uh, that you're saying. It's really funny. Like, you know, when we've met, we've just like, kind of like hit it off and we I feel like I could talk to you forever. Uh, but there's so many things, like even just, you just mentioned like reading, like one of my proudest moments, <laughs> it's not proud, but uh, I, I aced the Lord of the Flies test. Uh, it was multiple choice oh. without reading the book. <laughs> and, and I was like, well, that's it. I don't have to read. And I didn't read again until I went to school and I took it online and I was like, yeah. Oh, I can read. And then I took up reading again, but I'm very much in that like improvement as a hobby. I, I find yeah. it very interesting. I find it really challenging. You're, you're working on yourself. Um, yes, but it's a fun hobby. So that's awesome. It's, yeah. The, the, the reading thing for me, like a, a coach, uh, you know, therapist, counselor, whatever you want to call her, but somebody that I worked with on a, on a biweekly basis for a long time, just trying to improve little pieces of my life. Um, whether it was, you know, dealing with my you know problems at work or relationship or, or whatever, myself, you know, daddy issues, whatever it might've been. Um, she told me once, she said, uh, we were talking about changing, right? Like, how do you, how do you change? Uh, and she said, we only change humans in general when we uh, hurt enough that we have to, mm -hmm. which is normal, right? That, that's when most people change. Some lost loved one, financial crisis, a foreclosure, a uh, car wreck, you know, a doc bad news from the doctor saying like, look, you're going to die if you don't start eating better. That's when you hurt enough that you have to change. And that's when most people do have some big measure of improvement. Uh, but the second part of her quote is, or we learn enough that we want to. Right. And, and man, she taught me that. And, and I started thinking about the handful of books that I'd read that actually did change me. Uh, like uh, I started a book club at drips and the first book that we're about to review that we've, we've read over the last month or so was the five uh, love languages. And mm -hmm. that book, man, that book changed me. Like I, I understood why me and my wife weren't seeing eye to eye after the baby. I understood like she had a different upbringing than I did. And, uh, you know, she had off the boat Asian parents and wasn't, um, wasn't into complimenting, right? Because Asian moms, they don't compliment you, you know, <laughs> like, it's just not something to do. She also wasn't into hugging. So I learned that, like, my words of, uh, you know, words of affirmation and physical touch are my thing, which is most, most, most males are. Uh, and she's just not equipped. She didn't have that skill set. She wasn't, she wasn't raised that way. Um, and then hers subsequently were, uh, services uh was it called services rendered or whatever essentially like you know fixing things around the house or whatever which i am not that guy uh, again i can and, relate to you on that one too yeah Usually. i'm just not that guy man like <laughs> if a toilet is overflowing i'm calling a plumber you know totally. but but once i read that book and i learned like that's what she grew up admiring about her father is that he was always fixing stuff he was always cooking he was he was gardening he was catching fish for the family uh that kind of thing and it, like i remember one time i fixed a uh i fixed a faucet or something i mean i'm like breaking my knuckles i'm swearing i got gross water dripping in my eye i have no clue what i'm doing i'm down there with an iphone on youtube trying to trying to figure out like what an s pipe is or whatever and i don't even know and it meant the world 
to my wife. Yeah. And in that moment, I mean, it was, it meant the world to her. In that moment, I was like, Oh my God, I learned this from a book. And the book was only this big. It was like a four hour read, you know, or something. And then I just, I started becoming a ferocious reader, like anything and not, not, not fantasy. Not, not that I don't think there's probably value. And again, escapism and whatnot in fantasy. Um, but last minute learning, I call it right. Like if I got something that I'm having a problem with, that's the subject I want to read about. Yeah. And, and I've changed a lot due to some yeah. of those things. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, I really like the idea of, of self-improvement. And I can't remember where I heard this, but when your brain is broken, uh, you're trying to fix it with the thing that's broken, right? Like, if you broke a hammer, you wouldn't try to fix it with that broken hammer. But with your head, you're yeah. trying to fix that. And so, you know, I've been in some shitty times where, you know, I've had to do that. But if you're on this self-improvement journey, it's like, I'm reading this to, like, change the thing that is, is internal, that is me, like fixing the tool that that you are right for lack of a better word but i just there's something about the journey of self-improvement and i'm the same way i don't want to read uh, stories and i don't want to escape i want to read stuff that's like man i can put this to work today on me i don't know what yeah. it is, but I, I really like that um kind of in that same vein is uh we always ask all our guests what what's your superpower or what do you think is your superpower oh this is going to be a deep one just because i've been unpacking this for six or better part of six or eight months. So, uh, I grew up, uh, the, the child of, of, of alcoholics, right? So both, both my parents, uh, were alcoholics. My father was physically abusive and, um, and that, that was my world, you know, that was what I grew up in. And I come to learn again through, through, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, self-reflection and, and digging and whatnot that, uh, I would have said a while ago, I would have said like my superpower is like, I'm able to, move things around so that everybody's happy, right? Like I can, I can, I can build a beautiful culture at a company. I can, I can help uh, referee what would be conflicts. And I can always come out with a, uh, a solution or a resolution that, that generally makes all parties happy, which, which oftentimes it's not, it's not as possible as you would think. And I started learning through, through therapy and through reading and uh, understanding like, why am I that way? Because I'm very uncomfortable with conflict, right? Very uncomfortable. Uh, even though I love like competitive jujitsu and stuff, like I'm uncomfortable with hard conversations. I'm not great at giving people uh, harsh feedback, um, and a lot of that is due to the fact that I was I was a child of an alcoholic and 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 you know physically abused. And what happens when you're that kind of kid? You become a pleaser, right? You become uh, you. It, 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 everything has to be cool around the house because if it's not cool, you might be getting your butt whooped, right? Um, and, and I realized like that's so deeply ingrained in, in my DNA that I am a, I am a pleaser. So if I have two or three people arguing at work, like I'm just trying to figure out how to like resolve the conflict. Right. So it's a superpower. And it's also, you know, just like most superpowers, it's, it's also one of my greatest weaknesses, you know, like I, yeah. and, and, and I'm, I'm smart enough to like partner with people that can have hard conversations <laughs> for me and get a chief operating <laughs> officer that can fire when people need to be fired and, and whatnot. But that's, that's probably like from a psychological standpoint, I think that's one of my, my greatest strengths and one of my weakest assets, you know, like our weak points as well is, um, you know, that means I let, I let people take advantage of me a lot. I trust a lot. Uh, another superpower would probably be the, uh, I believe in, um, what do you call it? Abundance. You know, I, I, I'm ultra optimist. I always assume everybody has the best intentions. I always assume that it's going to work out. Uh, luckily my, my, 
co-founder and CTO, he is the opposite, right? He is, yeah, he is an engineer. He is, yeah, he is an engineer by nature, uh, architect by nature. So he only sees all the potholes and all the roads. You know, I always joke. I say Tony would. Uh, Tony's the kind of guy that would like forge a titanium helmet uh, so he can swerve down the highway going ninety. Uh, just in case a meteor strikes, you know, <laughs> like he just, he sees all the potholes and all the roads, you know? Um, but that, you know, I think that's what makes a good partnership for us is uh, I look for the abundance. He covers our downside and, and anytime you have opposites pulling at either end like that uh, generally have a very strong foundation. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's uh, you're, you're very self-aware too of a lot of things. Right. And, and I appreciate you being so transparent. Uh, you know, we're just getting started on this. So I appreciate that. And then, you know, that's another superpower. Like, I think a lot of people, you know, I don't know if it's this, they're not humble enough to take feedback or to look at themselves, you know, but man, I, I love constructive feedback. Like when we get off this call, I'm going to ask you like, how could that have went better? You know, what did you like, <laughs> what did you not like? Because uh, it, it feeds that, that, that improvement hobby and obsession, you know, like I don't think you can improve at the rate that I would argue that I've been, I've improved in different measures of my life year, year over year. Uh, if you're not self-aware, you have to be able to look and see, see the cracks and, you know, see the different parts that, that need worked on. And, and you have to be humble enough to do that. I, I, somebody told me there was a, there was a quote and it was funny. Somebody, somebody sent me an article like, dude, this is totally you. And it was a humble narcissist, yeah. uh, m- meaning like, I think very, very highly of myself. I'm very, very confident. Uh, when I believe I know what I'm talking about, right? But I will be the first person to to take advice, to take coaching, to take uh, subject matter experts' uh, opinion over my own. Mm-hmm. The second I believe that they know more than I do, which, which is which is often, you know. Um, so I think it's good, especially in my role. Like you want to be confident, you know, you want yeah. to portray confidence, and you want to know your shit. But at the same time, you need to be humble enough to like not be arrogant and i think that's it's a fine line line. uh, awesome that's super cool um so why don't we get into uh you you telling us a little bit about drips so what is drips and uh and what's the story of drips sure uh drips is uh short for uh drip campaign right so if anybody ever heard of a drip campaign generally it was an email methodology that was you know probably invented some 10 15 years ago where you send uh, different messages at different times of the day. Uh, and the point of it is to, to elicit a response with, with finite uh, resources. So it actually comes, I think the term comes from drip irrigation systems, like gardening, right? Like little drips, you know, finite resources over a long period of time to, to, to garnish a maximum result, right? Um, drips, uh, in the beginning, it was, it was one of those things, man, like uh, every business that myself or Tony built was always to make money. Like we were true and true publisher, marketers, whatever you want to call it, spammers way back in the day, which we, we can tell that story. It's a fun one. Um, but uh, we always built tools to make money, right? So at one point in 2014, I think we were, I think we were selling leads, you know, uh, and we had a client that was buying those, those records and he had a tool that would every day, he was using Bobberdoo. You may have even heard of Bobberdoo, right? In the, in the space, uh, every day Bobberdoo would send a text message to his last seven days of leads. And I think the big thing back then was student loan consolidation and it would send a text and it would say, hello, uh, thanks for filling out our form. Call us back at one eight eight five 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 one two one two. Uh, to consolidate your student loans, whatever. And that was, uh, that was how he generated inbound phone calls, right? And um, one day, 
Babadu, uh, I believe it got blocked. Like the, the, cause he was using one phone number, you know, mm -hmm. eventually carriers catch on and they, they block your messages. And he called me and he said, AC, we got a problem, man. My, my, my texter broke. Uh, and I was like, sounds like you got a problem, buddy. You know? <laughs> he said, well, I, I'm, I'm going to stop buying your leads uh, if I can't fix this. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, we got a problem. Then we got a so, problem too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now we got it. Yeah, he brought me into the problem, uh, thankfully. Um, so he, uh, I asked him what did it do? And he explained, you know, what it did in the last few days, send a message every day at noon. I was like, oh, okay, well, it's not that hard. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm somewhat of a programmer by nature. So I, I built, uh, you know, about a four foot tall PHP script and, uh, you know, use Twilio, you know, got a credit card from him, spun up a Twilio account, got access to the database and, and effectively rebuilt that small piece, you know, just that texting piece uh, and had him live. Uh, it was the, not the next day, but the next night. And I sent him the link at like 4 a.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. Pacific time. I sent an email and I'm like, I'm, I've been up for like 36 hours. I was like, here's the link. I'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll talk about it. And he, he, he texts me right away and he said, Hey, it's not, it's not doing anything, man. This thing's, this thing's not working. And I text him back on me. Like, you didn't open that. Did you? And he said, yeah, why? I was like, close it, close it right now. <laughs> Cause it was, again, it was like one or 2 AM, you know, Pacific. And that thing was sending out massive text messages, you know, oh. sending out like 10,000 text messages to, you know, the, the whole country. Uh, so, so of course he opens up his, um, you know, his, his retriever or invoker or whatever it was platform. And, and sure enough, you had like 80 people on the line, you know, looking to consolidate their student loans, <laughs> just sitting there on hold. So he closes it. Uh, and the next day I walk him through it. I'm like, yeah, when you open it up, there's no interface. You know, this was just right, a really just long strip. So it just, yeah. So it just did some stuff in PHP. It sent, you know, a thousand text messages or whatever to the last thousand people. And then it, it echoed out a meta uh meta refresh tag right so it would just refresh itself it would run the script then it would refresh itself and it would run the script then it would refresh itself and that's how the, that's how it worked um and it worked and and uh right away he went from he used to have a 10 percent conversion uh lead to call and he jumped immediately to a 15 percent conversion and that's a 50 percent uh, lift you know in, in performance yes yeah, huge in, in marketing and he was like what did you do and and I, I just kind of nicely said, like, well, your creative was horrible, right? Like, the message was like, <laughs> sounded very broadcast-ish, right? So I changed it and it said, instead of, hello, thank you for filling out the form. Call us back at one day, I changed it to, hey, Mike, uh, it's Bob over at the Student Loan Help Center. Thanks for, I'm glad you found us on Facebook. So I added in some recency, I added in personalization, I added in social proof, all the marketing, you know, psychology, yeah. psychology pieces. Uh, and I said, like, look, I'm here all day until seven o'clock. Here's my number. Call me back. And boom, 50% lift. Um, I'll, I'll speed this story up a little bit because there was a lot of iterations. But long story short, he was pumped, right? He's like, well, what else can we do? And I said, well, a drip campaign's technically supposed to be different messages at different times of the day, right? So so I did that. And, you know, Day one, I'd do a morning message. Day two, I'd do a noon message. Day three, I'd do a 5 p.m. message. And they were all contextually relevant. So the day five would say, hey, I hope I hope I caught you after work. It'd be like 5.30. Uh, I'm, you know, uh, hit me back up or whatever. And then we'd do... Uh, Day six would be, hey, one more hour till I got to leave the office. Do you have time now? Call me. Um, and then that got him up to like a 25% uh, transfer rate. And so now he's up, you know, big time uh, over from 10 to 25% with the same uh, cost, right, of leads. Mm -hmm. And then we added in phone calls because he had a, he had another system that was doing phone calls. I said, well, that's a bad experience, right? These things aren't talking to each other. So I, I, I multi-threaded it and I added in, you know, phone call, then text, then text, then phone call. 
and by this time, I think we had it up to like a 30, 35% transfer rate. And this system is just about to explode, right? Like the, the thing is, you know, he's having to like drive home every two hours because the, the, the PHP script crashed or whatever. Yeah. He's, and that was about the time I brought in Tony, my partner. I was like, hey, Tony, like this thing's making us a good amount of money. We need to, um, I need you to rebuild it, right? So he rebuilt it, proper, you know, nbcframework.net, databases, login, start, stop buttons, you know, the normal stuff that you'd have in any tool. Uh, and, and Tony instantly told me, he's like, hey, man, your error log is up to 11 gigs or something like that. I said, I said what error log? So what, I don't even know what that means, you know. And he said, well, every time somebody texts back the Twilio number, Twilio is pinging our server looking for a handler response to tell Twilio what to do with the message, right? Uh, and because I didn't have that handler set up, it was erroring, 404ing, and then it was adding it to a line in this, in this ever-growing log. And, and, you know, again, keep in mind, this is 2015 and we're just like, people are texting back, you know, <laughs> like, like, you know, it seems so intuitive now. Right. Uh, but back then we we're just like, what are they saying? And, and we looked at it, we pulled up the log and man, that was, that was when we really fell back into it and kind of had the, uh, the aha moment, if you will, right. Of, of, of what we coined as conversational SMS or conversational texting is there was so much rich data and, and contextual relevance in these messages. It was like, it was like, hey, great, call me now. Uh, call me at five. I can't talk. I'm at work. I'm with my kids. Hold on, how much does it cost? Uh, I'm driving. You know, leave me alone. F off. You know, whatever. Like everything was like super contracted. And, and, and I saw this. And I was like, oh man, we got to use this. You know, we got to use this information. We got to like make this a better user experience. Not because I was technically worried about the consumer at the time. I was thinking performance, right? Optimization and conversion. Uh, but I, I looked and uh, I had Tony thread them so we could see the user experience. And it was like, you know, we text somebody and they'd say, never text me again. And we text them right back, you know, or we, yeah. uh, you know, we text somebody and say, Hey, we'll call you in 20 minutes. And they'd say, call me now. And then we wouldn't call them for 20 minutes. I mean, it was just like really bad user experience. So we, uh, we built a chat room, you know, that was the fastest way to deal with this is 2015. There's no natural language processing. There's no machine learning. Nobody's, you know, everybody's saying they got AI, but nobody has it just like, 2019 um <laughs> and uh and uh we we built a chat room and we we staffed a couple people in akron and we had them handle the responses we we at that point got it up to 42 percent transfer rate all the way from a 10 yeah. you know, so over 400 percent increase in performance uh, just because we were talking to people on the channel of their preference it was humanized uh and it was it was relevant and it was um it was great uh, and then, you know, that scaled as far as it did. And we had to start building in some automation. So if somebody said, I'm at work, which is a very common response, uh, we had an automated uh, autoresponder, essentially, that would just text right back and say, oh, sorry, we call you at work. We're here till eight. Can we call you at six? Question mark. And, you know, then we had, you know, 2% was automated, 98% was humans. And then it was 5% was automated. And it was 10% was automated. Now, now it's inverted where, you know, it's like 90, 95% automated. Uh, we do have AI and machine learning and natural language processing and all these other uh, things in place now. And we still keep the human backer. Uh, we still have uh, staff, you know, we have some in the Philippines, some in the U.S. Uh, mostly for, uh, because I have made it a core point uh, of our system to not be a chat bot um chat bots i think mm. uh feel like bots right like like i don't know if you've ever chatted with a chat bot that you yeah. couldn't tell if it was a human or not mm. i haven't That's um, not, isn't that the but it's a, the turing test isn't it or something yeah 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 the turing test exactly um, um ours you can never tell it's not 
you can never tell it's a bot because all the scripts were made by a human. Uh, everything is randomized and permutated. So it, you know, it has human characteristics. And then uh, we've had over 50 million uh, learnings from our humans onto our, our model, mm -hmm. right? So I know every which way to say I'm at work. I know every which way to say, leave me alone. I know every which way to say, call me at three or I'm driving or I'm with my kids. We've just seen so many of these things. Um, and if it's not sure, uh, we lean on the natural language processor. And if that's not 98% sure, then we kick it to a human. All right. The human sees that the person said, uh, I'm working, and they spelled it W-E-R-K-I-N, uh, and they click the I'm at work button, and that then, again, trains the model. So we stay very, very compliant. There's very, very, almost no risk of accidentally not opting somebody out. Um, you know, most systems understand stop, end, cancel, unsubscribe. Ours has thousands and thousands and thousands of ways. Somebody, one of our prospects the other day, asked us to tell them exactly how many ways and uh, we looked at our our our, uh, our hot words list and I think we had 4,000 something like that and, and they're not all bad words it's just you know some are just not interested no thanks I'm 12 years old I never asked for this whatever you know things that legally are opt-outs but technically most systems don't opt those things out right. uh, and then we also look for those messages within the broader message so in a snapshot time, we look back at a 60 day period and we had over 160,000 unique opt out uh, text strings. And then they were just like, wow, okay, I get it now. Um, so it, you, to my, in my opinion, to, to build uh, a tech, a conversational texting platform. And again, we were the first people to do that. I mean, we have even the term conversational texting, we have a registered trademark and a patent on and, and others uh, like that. So, you know, that it's kind of been our thing. Uh, we've iterated, we've had, I think, six or 700 million uh, conversations at this point, wow. you know, tons and tons and tons of learnings to the model. So we see other, you know, competitors popping up now, but uh, it just validates the market for us. You know, um, we're starting to work with some really, really big enterprise companies and it's just getting more and more exciting as we get to like work with those types of, you know, fortune 100 type companies. Awesome. That, that is, I had no idea of the story. Um, so, you know, thinking of, uh, not that there's a traditional path of entrepreneurship, but you, you, there's a problem arises. It becomes your problem. You quickly create an MVP. Then you come in and someone does it more professionally. And then it almost seems like the business took you, right? Like, mm -hmm. Hey, this is happening. We're doing this. Uh, I'm kind of curious because you did say you're like kind of a natural entrepreneur. Sounds like maybe you're doing some entrepreneurial things before. Um, but is this where you saw yourself? And then, yeah, maybe answer that. No. So, I mean, Drips just started in 2015, really. I, I had had many, I call them money hacks now, right? Like just <laughs> wait, ways, to, yeah, ways to make money online, right? Yep. Uh, sometimes it was selling leads. Sometimes it was... Uh, building automation. Sometimes it was building marketplaces or networks. Uh, I built one one website. It was um, it's still up. You can look it up. It's called CustomSouthParks.com. If you ever were on MySpace, uh, we went super viral back then. It was uh, where you could like create the little dolls, the little South Park dolls, and like change their hair and change their outfits and and whatever. You could like make these little cartoons like look yeah, like. Yeah, I remember you. that. Yeah, th those were all those were all uh, those funny. were all ours and. And it's just, it's so funny. Like it all goes back to, well, let me finish the South Park story because it's kind of a funny one. So that site, um, we couldn't really figure out how to monetize it. You know, it's just like, we can't, we're not selling anything and you can make money off of ads with, um, 
even if it is somebody else's uh, technically like their IP, like you could have a Britney Spears fan page and make money on the banner ads, right? Uh, and we did, we made a lot of money on Custom South Parks because as soon as they hit save, uh, we would put them through a path, right? We put them through the survey oh, yeah. path. Hey, are you interested in saving money on your auto insurance? This cell phones, whatever. And I think we were making like a few bucks per South Park character at one point. And we had this thing up to the point where it was making like five or six thousand dollars a day, I think, at its peak. I mean, it was just crushing it. It was like me and one partner too. Like there was no there was no company, there was no staff. It was a money hack, you know. Um, and then we had this huge community of people that love South Park that were, you know, building these characters, sharing them on social media and whatnot. And we had a big push from our community to sell t-shirts, right? Because they wanted to have they wanted to do it for gifting, like novelty gifts. So they wanted to like make the Mike, you know, South Park and give it to Mike as a gift. Mm -hmm. um, and we didn't, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't need to make money from t-shirts. So like we did it almost for free. Like we hooked up with a local printer um, and, you know, we, I think we made like 25 cents on a, on a shirt, you know, shipped, right. We made zero money off of it. It was, it was kind of a pain in the ass project. Uh, and then about a month later, you know, we've made, you know, $12 on all these, you know, t-shirts that we sold about a month later we got a we got a, a lawsuit or a cease and desist rather yeah. from viacom <laughs> so, so viacom just came out and crushed us yes, and it was all that. because of the all, all because of the t-shirts yeah so <laughs> that made us no money so i torpedoed uh you know arguably a multi-million dollar business or money hack rather uh trying to please uh community yeah trying uh, to keep the people happy <laughs> yeah but they just you know I was, I was so naive back then i didn't i didn't even it literally didn't even cross our mind. So it's just, it's just funny the things you learn as you grow. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but rewind time even further, I, I, I started out my path and my, I don't want to say obsession with automation, uh, but it's more about like scaling the unscalable. I always liked that term because um, I think it might've been Gary Vaynerchuk. He said something like, if you, if you figure out a way to scale the unscalable, you'll always win. Right. right. Uh, and then if you look back at all my different projects and companies, that was always the unique piece was scaling the unscalable. So like, the South Park thing, the reason that blew up was because we built a way to make it go viral. Like after somebody hit save and they went down our path, actually, sorry, before it went down the path, we would say, hey, do you want to share this with all your friends on MySpace? Right. There was no Facebook back then. And there was also no feedback then, right? So it was only whatever you put on your wall was what people might see. Uh, or if you went to somebody else's wall and posted, they would see it. So we would, we said, you want to share this with your friends on MySpace? And most people said, yeah, why not, right? And usually you would just get a copy paste code, right? And that would be where you would go paste the HTML code. But ours, because we're programmers, we're like, well, we can just log in as Mike and do whatever we want to do, right? So, and, and, and we did that. We were like, okay, Mike, what's your, what's your MySpace email and password? And then Mike would put his email and password with MySpace. We would log into Mike's MySpace via PHP curl. Uh, and then we would go to every single one of uh, Mike's friends and post this this image on their walls, oh, and it would say, "It would say, Hey Kelly, I just made this custom South Park. Uh, you should make one too. Share share it with me uh, when you're done." And it would just, you know, this thing. Well, no wonder went viral. Yeah, I mean, it was it was like yeah, it was kind of forced viral, but <laughs> there was no there was no share on my wall back then. You know, there was no way to there was no viral like back then. Going viral was you got listed on Yahoo's front page. You know, yeah. like that was the only way you, you spiked got like shared that. by email or something. It just ran. Yeah. 
yeah. Speaking of viral, I don't, I don't know if you have the story of my, my daughter with the back. I was going to ask you about this. So, yeah, yeah, yeah we, we can get to that. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about the, the automation thing. So this is a fun story. So I saw like what got me obsessed with, with programming and automation and, and computers in general is my senior year, right after my senior year, I moved out. I moved in with a buddy of mine, Jimmy. And this guy was always crushing it. His, his dad was a pizza delivery man. Uh, I think his mom might've worked at like the grocery store or something. So come from humble beginnings. Uh, he was a stud wrestler, a good friend of mine. And, and I moved in with him. And then like in high school, he, you know, he had like a Mustang, then he had a Mustang GT, then he had a Mustang convertible, then he had a Porsche 911, then he had a Porsche 911 with a matching Hummer H1. And, you know, everybody's just like, what the heck, this guy, drug dealer, you know, there's always like the rumors or whatever. Uh, and when I moved in with him, uh, he was showing me around the house and he showed me his office. And I walked in and there was like, there was 20 computers in this space, not very much bigger than the space that I'm in right now. And the room was about 110 degrees because he has all these computers running. They got fans stuck in the side of them trying to keep the computers cool. And this is before like, you know, Bitcoin and mining and all this stuff. So I had no idea what was going on. And I was like, what, what do you, what, what, why, why do you have so many computers? And he just goes, oh, these are my spammers. I'd never heard the term before. There was no report spam button back then, you know, uh, it was, it was a relatively new term. And I was like, what, what is a spammer? And he turns on his screen and there I'm watching it. Right. Uh, AOL pops up, it dials up, it logs into some, some, some random account. It goes into a chat room and it pastes a bunch of links for, I don't know, diet pills or a dating site or whatever it was. And then it would, it would shut the can the chat room down go into a different chat room do the same thing shut it down go to the next thing and it looked like and you see the mouse moving you see the keys typing you know and i was i was mike i was blown away i was like it, to me it looked like magic you know i was like how is how are you doing this you know and he's like well i programmed it and i did this and i used this api and i you know whatever send keys whatever and i was like what do you mean you programmed it like i didn't even like i was just like trying to understand how this is possible but at the end of the day, what I realized is like he effectively had, you know, 40 people, you know, fake people that were sitting in this room that were sending out messages that looked like they were real, uh, but he didn't have to pay a staff, you know, he had like, he had these spammers just rolling out these links on the internet. And, you know, fast forward two decades later, obviously we have things like, you know, TCPA and there's laws around spamming and whatnot, but, and, you know, Drips obviously has a, a deep, deep, deep commitment to compliance and, federally and state laws but if you think about it like what he was doing isn't that much different than what what we're doing you know again we have the consent and it's these are real consumers that are looking to get these messages but effectively like we've built a system that can hold conversations that uh look very humanized but but they're automated right uh, so yeah that, that was that was my first kind of foray into automation and scaling the unscalable yeah, and I, after that, I learned learned how to program. You know, got got very obsessed with that, and uh, built a ton of stuff since then. Yeah, no, that's that's super interesting because it's kind of like now you have the permission and the consent, and you're doing it properly. And we are going yeah. to this world where there's going to be so many bots that we're chatting with. Uh, you know, what how we're going inter to interact with them, and how do we know the difference? Because I'm assuming a lot of your customers, by the way you say your software works, they have no idea. I mean, you yeah, made it human so that they're more likely to communicate with it. That, that's absolutely correct. I, you know, a lot of people are trying to hack this like omni-channel chat bot, whatever thing. And people say they got this AI thing. It's just like, it's never a good experience, right? Like to me, 
it has to be humanized. You have to know exactly where the person is in the funnel uh, so that you can try to move them to the very next stage. You know, like that's, that's the way we go about it at least, which most companies aren't. Most companies are trying to boil the ocean, you know, and be able to hold any conversation about anything at any given time, no matter what it is. I, I think that's, um, that's the incorrect way to go. And, and we've, we've proven it, you know, I mean, we've, we've had traction from the beginning, been profitable from the beginning, been growing year over year. Uh, our, our way uh, really works because it's, because of how deliberate it is, right? Like we can, um, we know that somebody just came from Facebook. We know exactly what they're looking for. We know where they're at in the funnel. We know if they clicked or opted in or this or that. And, and we just try to move them from, you know, one part of the funnel to the next. And then if they keep converting on their own or hands off, if they don't, we, you know, we politely you know, remind them about, you know, they didn't sign their paperwork or they need right. to call in for a quote or whatever it may be. Um, but it's very different, you know, like a lot of chatbot is more about, um, servicing and things like that support, but people aren't ready, at least in my experience, people are not ready to chat with bots. It's a bad experience uh, because bots aren't ready to chat with people, right? Like, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like respond more for more information. Like, that's not a good conversation. It <laughs> reminds me of like, to me, it's like an IVR, right? Like yeah. stuck in this press one for this, then press two for this. And then you get to the next thing. It's like, okay, press one for this. Press two. You're like, Oh my God, when is this going to end? Yeah. And you start jamming zero trying to get a, trying to get a, a human, you know? So, I think, I think the people that are doing it right are trying to go the more humanized approach, uh, whether that's strips or, or, or live person or other companies like that. Yeah, yeah, we're just not quite there yet. I think a lot about like voice search, right? And I have an Alexa at home and sometimes Alexa or Siri, just I don't understand what you're saying. I'm like, okay, I can't talk to you versus yeah. where Google's going with it is very conversational. Like the technology needs to understand how we talk instead of turning the humans into talking like robots. So I, I just don't think we're quite there yet, but uh, we will get there. I'm sure. I agree. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it's all about, it's all about just taking steps and, and, and having traction along the way. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, one day, yeah, one day these things are going to be, you know, we'll be, we'll be serving them probably. But uh, <laughs> for now it's just about like, can you execute, you know, can, can you actually give somebody a good conversation uh, profitably, you know, it's, it's arguably pretty hard to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one of the, one of the reasons that I reached out to you as well is, uh, I think it was on LinkedIn or Facebook. You shared a post about, uh, burnout, uh, something about, you know, blacking out or, uh, you went through a rough period of, of mental health or, or some stress. Sure. Times. I'd, I'd love it if you would, uh, dig into that story and share if you can. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I understand the, the the point of the podcast, and I, man, I have lived that right, like the the sprinting and the trying to force something versus you know just just going with a slow and steady and you know persistence overcomes resistance model. And and I've learned it the hard way. You know, back to that saying, you know, we we only change when we learn enough that we have to, or sorry, when we hurt enough that we have to, or we learn enough that we want to. I didn't learn, right? I didn't have a mentor that told me like, dude, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to hurt yourself, you know? Um, and I pushed it so hard back in the build stage, which I even still arguably uh, will advocate that there is a time to push that hard. Um, yeah. Like if you are, you know, like if you're, if you're bootstrapping, right. And, and you're, you're running out of savings or you're, you know, you're trying to get the profitability and you like literally have to like, get it built like that, that is the appropriate time to, to sprint, you know? 
uh, I, I still advocate that not maybe not to the to the depths that I did um, but yeah I got to the point where when I was really 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 pushing it way too hard you know the I don't even know 90 plus hour work weeks the taking naps you know not sleeping I mean I was doing like polyphasic sleeping stuff just trying to oh oh great I can get 22 working hours out of a day that sounds great uh just trying all kinds of crazy shit and um and I ended up having uh audible hallucinations I was um I would I would when I would get to try to fall asleep I would be trying to fall asleep and I would I would be hearing my business partner Tony uh, I'd be hearing his voice I mean just as clear as if as I'm hearing your voice now and the most, the, the weirdest part of it was it wasn't like, it wasn't a coherent uh, conversation that I would be hearing them having in, in my head. It was like, the best way I could explain it uh, was word salad. It was just like database structure, uh, payroll and blah, 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 and FTP and blah, blah. And it was just, man, it's the most creepiest thing uh, you, you can imagine is just hearing somebody as if they're just sitting next to you reading through random, you know, terms. And I had to get medicated to deal with it. Uh, you know, eventually I started, you know, getting more rest and meditation, all kinds of other stuff that, 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 that appropriately dealt with it. You know, medication will only treat the, uh, the symptom, not the disease and that kind of, that kind of world. Um, but yeah, that, that was when it got pretty bad for me. Um, I was just, I was just pushing, 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 uh, a lot harder than I probably needed to. I was working, definitely working harder not smarter. You know, I look back now and I'm like, oh man, if I just would have you know, just tweaked this or just tweaked that, I could have got a relatively similar outcome in, in maybe a slightly longer time period. Uh, and, and it, you know, I wouldn't have had risked my health uh, for it. That, that that's, that's actually an interesting story. I, I read this somewhere and I'll probably butcher the story, but it helped me when I, when I started thinking of um, enjoying the ride, if you will, or, or, or even just like the persistence piece that, that you talk a lot about, you know, like the slow and steady, if you will, versus the sprints and the crashes. Mm -hmm. There was this guy. Uh, and again, I'm going to butcher the story. So maybe somebody recognizes it, but uh, there was a guy who every day for his workout, he would ride 20 miles on his bike, right. In the morning, 20 miles down, 20 miles back up the beach. And he would pound this, this ride, right? Like he just, face down, blood red face, sweating, hearts pounding. And he would go all the way down and all the way back up. And every day he didn't look forward to the workout. It was a great workout, right? Great cardio, great, great fat burn. He was in shape, but um, it was something he didn't really look forward to. He didn't really enjoy. He just did it because he knew he needed to do it for his health. And then one day this guy decides that, you know what, on the way back, he was really tired, didn't get enough sleep that night, whatever. And then one day on the way back, on the way back up, he told himself, he's like, you know what, I'm just going to kind of take it easy. And this, 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 this trip, let's just say arbitrarily, it took him 40 minutes, 20 minutes down, 20 minutes up, which I doubt he's going 60 miles an hour. So that doesn't really make sense. But anyway, you get the idea. It was a, it was a 40 minute ride, right? However many miles it was. Uh, and um, on the way back up, he looked up. He was breathing. He was, you know, sitting up a little bit. He was still, you know, good pump, you know, good, good workout. But he was seeing people on the beach playing. He was looking at the birds. He's looking at the ocean, feeling the wind on his face. Uh, and he was enjoying the music a little more because he could hear it over his, his breath, you know. Uh, and he, uh, when he timed it, when he got back, he's thinking, man, that took so long. Like, what was it? And he looked down and it was like 42 minutes, you know. Yeah. It, was like, it was a two-minute delta, you know. It was a 5% delta. And I remember reading that story and I remember thinking, and I remember when I started building drips uh, with Tony and, and our partner, Tom, we, you know, I wanted to like 
build it and have this big company and then, and then sell it, you know? And I was thinking like, before we have a baby, right? Or, you know, right after get married or three years, you know, or two years or whatever, you know, I was crazy enough to think back then. I was like, and I'm going to kill myself the whole time so I can get it to happen faster. And I read that story and I remember thinking like, okay, let's just say for argument's sake, it would take me four minutes to build this thing to the point where I could take some real chips off the table. Um, would I really care if it took four years and three months, you know, if I could have enjoyed the ride the whole time and man, it's just like something unlocked. And I just, you know, I just, I just didn't have to kill myself. I still work hard. You know, I still have a very deliberate, very uh, intense schedule, but I'm just not killing myself because, because I'm okay with that 5% or 10% or 15% or 20% or whatever it's going to be. That's going to take that much longer to, to get to whatever outcome I'm, I'm trying to get to. And I think that's a really powerful thing that a lot of people don't realize is you can only force things so much, right? Um, somebody else, I was having a conversation about patience, which arguably this is, this is a lot of, about, right? Patience and impatience. I was very impatient back then. I've become much more patient now. Somebody told me, they were like, you know the secret to patience? I was like, what? And they're like, the secret to patience is you don't have a fucking choice. Like things are going to, things are going to happen yeah. whenever they're going to happen. And yeah, maybe you can push it, you know, you could pull something in by 5% or 10%. But at the end of the day, like you can't force the market to move any quicker than you wanted to. You can't force a team of developers to move much quicker than they're going to move, you know? So he said, really the, the truth is like, you don't have a choice. Like these things are going to take as long as they're going to take. And if you're being impatient, all you're doing is frustrating yourself. Right. Uh, so those, those have been some lessons that I've, I've just learned and they, they've helped me rationalize, uh, you know, not killing myself literally, yeah. you know, yeah, well, no, that's, more, think, more figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> good. <laughs> that's, um, uh, you know, just really good. It's like, Oh, I, I slowed down just a little bit. I kept going, still did the workout. I still did, you know, the work that was required to, to grow the company but I wasn't going at hundred miles an hour. I was going at a more appropriate speed that I can continue to go at. Yeah. Um, so well, so we, you we've think- talked about this too, right? Like with a, with workouts, like we, you and I talked about workouts a lot. Like you can't, you can't just crush it for two months and expect to have a great yeah. body. You know, you can't just diet for, for one month and expect to even see any results. So yeah. like, I, I always think of it like that. It's just like slow and steady. Anybody you see that looks like you want to look, that is a slow and steady, long lifetime of building a lifestyle that's sustainable. Yeah. I've been through so many yo-yo diets, you know, keto diet, this diet, low carb, no carb. Uh, and I, I, I never kept my weight off until I found intermittent fasting, which that's something I could do forever. Like, yeah. I like it. I still, I'm, I'm drinking coffee right now. It's whatever it is, 4 p.m. in the middle of the day, and I haven't <laughs> had a bite to eat yet. But it, that, that works for me. It's something I can yeah. sustainably keep, and it's comfortable for me. Um, where I think a lot of people, they do work the same way, you know, they just sprint, 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 and they get into this thing. that's like, it's unsustainable. You know, you're going to end up, you know, breaking something like, like I almost did. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've been there myself in, in, in different ways, but, uh, you know, created some habits. Uh, so I'm on the intermittent fasting thing. I actually, I'm drinking coffee too, but it's decaf. So I switched off the, the caffeination, but, um, yeah, it's there's there's a couple things you can do that are that are actually quite simple, and I think that for myself, my story, I, I took the governor off and I just went, and that's not sustainable. If you just if you just yeah. slightly tweak that governor and say, oh, I'm just gonna go just a little bit faster, but not in, go, not over the edge, there's a fine line, and finding that is 
it's very hard for me. It's very gray. Uh, and, and it's hard to know when you've gone too far. Um, I just find that, um, you said habit. I, I find that, that being deliberate with the schedule and, and also not being uh, romantic with changing it. Right. Like, mm. like, like, like I still work a lot, like, uh, but Mondays I get home by 7 PM Tuesdays. I leave the office at five Wednesdays. I have a super long, like double day. I, I work from like eight in the morning until like 10 at night. I'll take like one of my leadership out to dinner. Um, but that's like my big day. So I can make up to bring those Tuesdays and Thursdays down to like kind of a normal business day so I can spend time with my, my family. Yeah. Um, but I, I've tweaked that, man, I've tweaked that. I almost tweak it every week, you know, like I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. I got to bump this up by half an hour. And it, I don't know. A lot of, a lot of people talk about work home balance. I think it's all about the counterbalance, you know, like, like, like a tightrope walker is never truly balanced, right? They're every, every step, every moment they're, they're moving little micro muscles. And that, that's how I try to tr treat my day and my regimen is just like, don't get romantic. You need to adjust something, adjust something. And, and, eventually you get to something that's actually relatively sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really like that. Uh, the balancing, cause I've had a problem with the, the work-life balance. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I get it, but I don't know if there's a better word, but that description of it is, you know, is, is, uh, seems appropriate. Um, in, in the history of, of drips and your entrepreneurial journey, uh, is there anything that's been like your biggest challenge where like, I've just really struggled with this or this one moment in time was just, just awful or, you know, any, any big challenges along the way? Mm. Like this week or just in general? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, oh man. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's been so many, um, gosh, I mean, there's, there's been so many, Mike, I, like they, it's funny. Like the more of those big, challenges you have the more normal they they become you know <laughs> and then all of a sudden they don't look like that big of a deal um i'll, I'll have to come back to that i there, there's been a lot you know i i think i think well I, I can talk more macro level like in the beginning the problem was nobody believed in what we were doing right so like that was a challenge like bringing a new category to the marketplace like it was unbelievably hard, you know, like you're selling magic. You're like, I'm telling you, we can get 200% more contact rate. Like nobody believes you. Right. Uh, the biggest challenge when bringing a product to market is uh, social proof, right? Like when you start, they're like, well, who else is using you? And you're like, you, you'd be, you'd be the first person. <laughs> like, what do you, what do you tell them? What do you tell them? Right. Um, you gotta be honest. Uh, yeah. Uh, but that challenge was, was ultimately, uh, met and exceeded because we we learned how to kind of leapfrog the referrals right so like our, our partner you know our first client tom who's now a partner in the company he brought in the first few debt consolidation guys and then we figured out who they were selling to uh which was like debt.com and consolidated credit and creditrepair.com and then we got those guys as clients and then the guy that runs creditrepair.com hooked us up with uh, a friend of his that runs three-day blinds and then that got us into the home services market you know and then each one of the, you know, we worked with a call center who got bought by Quote Wizard. So we got Quote Wizard as a client, their big mm. uh, auto insurance agency. And then they got bought by Lending Tree. So now we have the Lending Tree uh, opportunity in front of us. Um, so I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs maybe don't think about enough or value enough. But in the beginning, you almost should give your product away for free, right? Like just get, get case study, you know, get, get 
get social proof because, because each one of those you can leapfrog up. Like we never would have got uh, Liberty Mutual as a client if we didn't have this small regional carrier named Gainsco. We never would have had them if we didn't have uh, Quote Wizard. We never would have had them if we didn't have this small, you know, call center bantam. Like I, I can literally draw a line back, you know, all the way to the original two or three um, companies. Those, those referral and that, that social proof is, it, it is everything you have, you know. Um, and then, and so, so you know, getting getting traction, you know, is hard. Obviously, uh, we've been investing for growth, so that's always hard. You know, we're not, you know, first three years of the company, like we we barely took. I, mean, I think we had like. $30,000 salaries mm-hmm. or whatever it was, um, you know, running a multi-million dollar business, uh, that was tough, you know, um, you know, but, but we always had the end in mind and knew that we were trying to hire people that were smarter than us and in different pieces. Uh, now our biggest challenge I would say is like people are starting to shop, right? So that my, my current biggest problem is, uh, companies have seen our success. We have, you know, copycats and other people that are, you know, kind of doing what we're doing, legitimate competitors as well, doing what we're doing uh, and people are shopping. Right. So now we got to get more content out. Right. And, and content's a tough thing to invest in because there's no immediate ROI. Right. right? When people look into conversational texting, like we literally invented it, uh, this humanized, you know, automated way. So we should be the first two pages of Google, but we're not, you know, right. because we haven't yet invested deeply into content. So that, that's a big problem we're dealing with now. Um, another big problem that we're, we're getting through over the last couple months has been, you know, when we, so, so because people are shopping, right? Like that means the market is, is opening up and speeding up. Uh, we, you know, we were speeding up very quickly, but now the market is moving at a, at a rate we can't keep up with right we don't have enough salespeople, enough support people enough marketing uh so we're, we're entertaining the idea of taking on you know some funding taking on a financial partner and one of the first things uh as we talk to some of these companies where i'd be like well you know where's all your long-term SaaS commitments you know you know like like salesforce gets right we're like how are we going to get somebody to pay for two years up front or commit to two years they don't even yeah. know what this is like it's a brand new right uh method methodology right so it's, it's hard um, but we're, we're having a lot of, I shouldn't say luck. We're doing well now at converting a lot of our performance revenue into uh, contracted revenue, right? Real enterprise, uh, you know, multi-year, uh, contracts. It, it's fun. I, I, I get to, you know, look at the ecosystem a lot and get to talk to a lot of other CEOs and founders out there, yourself included. And I look back and I look at like Invoca as a very similar type of company, you know, now Invoca is working with some of the biggest banks in the world, some of the biggest, you know, T-Mobile companies in the world, whatever. And they started as like, whatever it was, ring, ring revenue or ring, ring router revenue. or whatever. Yeah. Ring revenue, you know, it was a performance company, you know, it was a paper call uh, network and they've, they've made the, the jump to true SaaS. And I've been able to learn a lot from them and talk to their CEO a lot and, and work oh. a lot with their team and, and just kind of like know what, you know, what icebergs, you know, are, are ahead of me. Uh, so I can learn enough to change uh, versus uh, hurting enough the to pain. have to change. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. I mean, it, like, like there's just so many challenges that, that come, uh, come at you. And I was going to ask if you're uh, raising money. So that sounds like something that you're, you're kind of looking at. 
Um, yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, like, we want to speed up, you know, like a lot of this year, like we've had, you know, the, the 200% and 300% year over year growth metrics. A lot of this year was about um, dealing with some concentration issue with a couple, couple of few big clients, getting more clients on, building more of a foundation, getting the COO in, getting the systems in place so that we can continue to, to you know, grow. Uh, I mean, you know, it's just simple things like we, we just like most companies were running off of six or seven disparate systems, you know, including Google Sheets and Google Docs and, right. you know, uh, HubSpot and this ticketing system and Jira and some other thing for product and none of the systems are talking to each other, right? And then, if, you know, if you wake up one day and you have 150 clients and there's no source of truth to any of those clients, right? We have, you know, QuickBooks for this and Fresh Test for that and, yeah. something else or something else that's it's problematic from a scale standpoint so we've been you know getting into a salesforce environment over the last few months getting all of our disparate systems into one uh ecosystem and man it is a it is a bear it is a bear to do it but now when i need to run a report it's just like you know just run a report i got everything i need to see uh, versus having to like cobble together you know 18 different spreadsheets which you know obviously isn't very scalable yeah yeah, no, it's, it sounds like it's all kind of coming together. You know, you, you just kind of keep ramping, ramping up as, as you go and, and grow. Um, looking back on that, on the whole journey and the story, is there anything about it that you would change? Sure. Um, I've always been bad at firing people, um, letting people go. I've always been bad at uh, giving people the constructive criticism so that they could either course correct or so that they at least wouldn't be surprised when we let them go. That's something I've gotten better about. Um, but you know, we're putting in reviewing systems, things like this, uh, that I wish we would have put in a long time ago. Um, it's tough though. You know, it's tough when you're like, you're building it and speeding up and it's like, oh, okay, we got to slow down and do our one-on-ones and our, and our yeah. weeklies and you know, this and that, it's just, it's just so hard. Um, the thing I, it's interesting, like, I, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and founders and CEO types and I always ask them, I'm like, what, what's the one thing you would, you would do different or what, what's one trick or thing you, you know, that, that took you a while to learn. And a lot of them talk about firing people. It's, yeah. it's surprising how many, I mean, I mean like almost three out of five that they talk about people, right? Cause people, that is the asset, you know, even if drips is a product, it's like somebody's building that product, right? Somebody's marketing that product. Somebody's, somebody's the voice of that product. Yeah. The, the tech isn't what's valuable. It's the people behind it, the people in the company. And, and when you have the wrong person on the wrong seat of the bus, you know, they're just, and they're, even if, even if they're working hard, even if they're trying hard, even if they have all the best intentions of the world, if they're not aligned with your core values or if they're rowing in a different direction, you know, you got, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta fix that immediately. And one guy told me, he said, I was like, well, when do you know, when do you know if you should fire somebody? And he says, if you thought about it twice, you've thought about it once too often. Yeah. I was, yeah. Like, I was like, wow. I remember, I remember at the time I was thinking how cutthroat, you know, I'm like, what a, what an asshole candidly. I thought it was very cutthroat. And then I, and then I started realizing like, it, it's actually a bad thing. It, it's a bad thing to hold on to somebody that you shouldn't be holding on to. It's bad for them. It's bad for the company. It's bad for the coworkers. It's bad for their career. It's, it's toxic to you. Um, so I've tried to keep that front of mind and and I, I think back now to what he said if you thought about firing somebody twice you thought about it once too often and I look at my top whatever call it my the dirty dozen right like the the 12 or 15 people in the company who I wish I had more of right I never not once thought of hiring you know or fi firing any one of them right so like then he started thinking like okay I get it now you know yeah um 
so yeah, that's something I wish I would have been better about. Sure, there's a lot of stuff. Um, I don't know. We we've done a, you know, arguably, and and not to pat ourselves on the back, but we've done a lot of things right. Um, I'm glad we didn't take money early on. We could have. I mean, we've had plenty of offers. Um, so that's something I'm very proud about uh, and happy with. Um, I think we, uh, another thing I could we could have done much better about, and we did waste a lot of time, money, and resources was. Uh, what's the saying? Like some people call them golden apples, right? Like, like shiny objects, you know, like, yeah. Oh, we should build a, we should build a DIY drips for real estate agents. Cause there's so many real estate agents, you know, and like our core competency is doing this for enterprise, like large volume, not for the single DIY uh, realtor or lawyer or whatever. Like we definitely had probably two or three significant uh, time and money investments. Um, that that took just a ton of uh focus bifurcation that you know arguably you know probably slowed us down a lot if you think of like the time the energy the efforts the cycles the wasted dev resources the wasted time and yeah. energy from myself and my partners those were big mistakes man I, I think if you're in a growing company and you've identified an icp uh, ideal client profile just just keep going and keep growing like it is so easy for people like me, uh, builders, product people, to want to build. Like, I love the zero to one. I'm learning to love the one to five, you know, because I'm, I'm like, I'm getting into it now. But it's different, right? You know, like when you're building something from nothing, that is a much different uh, feedback loop or, or, or gratification um, than it is to grow something that already exists. So I think a lot of builders fall into that that trap of like, well, I want to build it for real estate agents. I want to build it for lawyers. I want to build yeah, just it. Keep building. Uh, just keep building yeah. smaller things instead of thinking big because they're two totally different skill sets. And it's, yes. it, is a, it is a leap from builder to like leader or like professional CEO or, or true C-level. Those are two very different skill sets. I'm surprised that more builders or entrepreneurs don't fall off at that point. Um, yeah, transition. it's hard. Yeah, I think I think the trick is trying to figure out what you're uniquely good at, right? Like, I, you know, I'm becoming more of a thought leader in this space. I enjoy, you know, meeting with other founder, owner, CEO, executives. Um, I enjoy doing big pitches. I enjoy having product influence. Uh, I don't enjoy, you know, running a sales team or setting up comp alignment or writing policies for, you know, uh, reimbursement plans, like stuff like that. So again, luckily I was good, lucky enough to have uh, a COO that he just loves that shit, you know, like he just digs in. Yeah. Um, so I think that's part of it is like just being very honest. You know, a lot of people say like, uh, what do they say? Like, you should work on your weaknesses. You yeah. know, like I, me I remember learning that a long time ago and it, it like, it made sense to me. It's like, Oh, I'm not financially literate. Right. Like I, I don't value money the way that you should. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, the best thing I ever did was got a controller, you know, like if I would have tried to become financially literate and like really, you know, worry about budgets or whatever, I never would have made the bets that I made that, that paid yeah. off. Um, I think uh, so I, I like the example of, of like David Beckham, right? I grew up playing soccer and they always teach you to use your right and your left foot and play offense and defense. And then David Beckham comes along. He's like, all I do is kick the ball and I put it in the exact spot and I always use my right foot. Right. Yeah. He's never really that good of a, a dribbler. He never plays defense. Right. Amazing career. Probably one of the most famous soccer players worldwide, you know, has all these different brands that spun off of that. Like he's, he's an entrepreneur and he's like, 
I just kicked the ball really well. Absolutely. Where it needs to go. And I was like, oh man, I've been working on my left foot all this time and being a good defense, defensive player and offensive. Yeah, that's the difference between being good and being great, right? Like like drips. uh, And and it's not just people either. It's products, right? Like that that is something that we – now we did try to build these other products, but one thing we, we were very careful about with drips was staying in our lane, right? Staying yeah. in our lane. Like I can't tell you how many people uh, wanted us to build a click to call network or a marketplace for lead gen or uh, call analytics or a call router or a CRM, all these other things that they were paying for. So like, hey, why don't you get, you guys can own the market, you know? And we were very deliberate and staying laser focused and, and tripling down on our strengths. And that's something you can, you can learn uh, with a product, with a company, uh, with your own skill sets. Uh, and, and as a person too, right? Like there, there's certain things that like, I'm just never going to be good at. So like, it's probably better that I just kind of ignore those and I double down on my strengths, you know? Um, so yeah, I've, I I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed that. Yeah. I think that's, that's great advice. Um, I, I think, you know, we can kind of wrap this out, but before we do, I think uh, I want to give you a chance to explain that Christmas sweater uh, and, and uh, talk about your, your, your daughter going viral as well. Sure. Well, the Christmas sweater is pretty quick. I, I'm at a, I'm at a, a call center right now, a company called Imposition. They're, they're one of the biggest uh, call centers in the country. And uh, I'm, I'm friendly with the CEOs coming, coming down to consult them on some texting stuff. And, they, they texted me, they're like, Hey, just FYI, it's ugly sweater day. So like, don't show up in a suit, you know? So I went and grabbed uh, my ugly sweater, which is, uh, it's a roadhouse sweater. Where it's got Patrick Swayze, you know, Dalton. It's got the be nice until it's time to not be nice. <laughs> it's got him like doing Tai Chi, you know? And all this. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I, don't, and I obviously don't get too much of a chance to wear it, but yeah, uh, they were nice enough to give me an office to use, which I don't know what, <laughs> this thing is i'm sure the listeners will be wondering what just what is that mean. in the bookers and stuff <laughs> oh, oh here we go it's uh the entrepreneurial award so yeah i saw a couple of these wow. there's a handful of these hanging up around uh different people's offices so i think it's you know it's <laughs> looks like it's a yearly uh yearly award it's just this gnarly this gnarly bore um yeah so so atlas going viral so uh anybody that was on the internet in what was it now 2017 or 18? I can't remember which year it was. Uh, yeah, had to be 2017. Um, when my daughter was three months old, uh, she was watching the Roomba uh, rolling around my house, you know, and she was just eyeballing it. And it was literally one of the first days that my, my, my wife uh, allowed me to watch her alone. And yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I saw the Roomba and and I started looking at it. So I started just doing stupid stuff. I was like sitting her on it. And I was like getting this, uh, this little chair thing and like putting her on the chair and then putting the chair on the Roomba. And then, and babies, they have this, um, they have this, this, this reaction where if like you put your finger in their hand, they grip it. Right. So they'll, they'll hold on to anything, you know, anything you put in their hands. So I laid her belly down on the Roomba and I had her holding the handles. I'm sure you can probably link the video in here somehow or yeah. whatever. Uh, it's not too hard to find. Um, and, and dude, she just wrote it. She wrote it around, around the house. I got this like 30 or 40 second video and uh, it's just of her riding this Roomba and it went, and I just posted it on Facebook, no big deal. And, you know, multiple people started sharing it and then they, they started sharing it and then some big, you know, comedy websites, whatever picked it up. 
and it ended up, I think it got like 600 million views. I mean, it was, it was the only, the only more viral video I think that year was this lady with a Chewbacca mask. Oh yeah. She was like, <laughs> where, you know, where the Chewbacca mask going? Oh, you know, yeah. and she was laughing her ass off. I think she, she beat us uh, for the number one spot, but it was on Ellen. It was on Good Morning America. It was on the Steve Harvey show. It was on USA Today, People's Magazine. I mean, it was, it was everywhere. Like it was just, it was crazy. It was just so crazy. And I, I got so many, hundreds of thousands of comments, you know, tens of thousands of shares. And some of the comments were so brutal. You know, my wife was all upset. You know, she's reading every comment. I was like, Annie, why do you, why do you even care? She's like, this person said that we're bad parents. I was like, well, I did, I did stick a three month old on a, on a, a, a robotic vacuum. So I'm not saying I'm a, I'd say I'm a bad parent, but um, she, uh, there, there are people, you know, they're posting comments that said like, uh, what would you have done if it ripped that baby's fingers off? Oh, and I'd wow. comment, I'd say, well, I wouldn't have posted the video. That's for sure. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I was just having fun with it. You know, it's the internet. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, and then I don't know if you saw, she had another uh, kind of semi-viral video where she puked all over me on LinkedIn. Did you see that? I didn't see that one. Oh, you'll have to check that one out or I'll text it to you since we're off. It's super okay. funny, man. It's super funny. That's it was cool. like, and it might, it happened to get caught with my Nest Cam. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just a funny story, but I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you look it up. We can save yeah, I'll have a look, but I remember the Facebook video cause I saw it and I saw it in my feed, like no big deal. And then I think I saw it on Ellen or like someone had shared it because it was viral. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's the same thing I just saw on, on yeah. feed. So it was yeah. super wild for even me to see, but just the amount of like how much it, it blew up was, was super cool. That viral yeah, we made, is so hard to get now, right? It's, oh yeah, it's impossible. We, we, made, um, we made like $15,000 off that video. Like it's in a Papa John's commercial. Like I end up hooking up with a licensing company, you know. So like I get I get royalties off this video. Oh, hilarious. So, yeah. So um, we we the plan was to take all the money that we made from it, and stick it into uh, long term savings, and then when Atlas turns you know sixteen or whatever, assuming all cars aren't driving themselves by then, uh, we'll we'll buy her a car, you know. But we spent all the money, of course, and I have a list of IOUs now for her. Right. Uh, so I got to, yeah, one day I'm going to cut her a check for like, you know, 14, 15 grand. Like, sorry, I, you know, need, need this money. Um, yeah, it, it's been fun, man. Uh, the, the father versus founder, that's what I call it, at least. Um, the diametrically opposed uh, personas. It's just such an interesting thing to, to think about and ponder. And I think any entrepreneurs out there, uh, it's hard enough as it is, you know, even if you're a single man or woman uh, trying to make it. But when you when you add in a baby, uh, a child, a wife into the mix, it is uh, it is impossibly hard, you know, because every ounce you put into one is taking away from the other. Totally. It's all about it's all about time. Um, so yeah, if you if you figure it out completely, let me know. Uh, but yeah, I don't think know, anybody ever will. It's you know, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, actually, I just finished listening to today today talking about entrepreneurs being kind of like artists, right? Like there's no one way to do it, and and uh, and being a parent is that way as well, right? Where you're like you know, I've got four kids, and you know, by the time you get to like younger ones and the fourth one, I'm like, I don't even know if I'm better at it or not. You know, I just kind of focus in on the, the key things and you do your best and, and running businesses and, and being a founder and leader is, is kind of like that too. There's, there's no cut and dry way to do it. And that's part of why we want to create the podcast. Let's talk about this stuff and see if we can do a little I, bit better. Yeah. I, I think, um, 
I think the the business, like growing a business and, and, and having a baby are very similar in the sense that like no one little thing changes the outcome, right? Uh, it's consistency, as you said, it's, it's, it's sticking to it, as you said, um, you know, it's just trying to be present every day or, or, or you know, having high quality of work uh, at the office. It's interesting. And, and we, we can, we can enter this. Um, but I, I, one thing I have learned with business is um, when, when, when people are out there struggling with this, this father founder or parent versus uh, professional, uh, again, diametrically opposed struggle uh, problems with business can get fixed very quickly. This is something I've learned, right? Like whether it's a negotiation or, or a legal issue or a client problem or a programming problem, like those problems can get fixed like this. Uh, things that break can get fixed very quickly. Uh, it's not that way at home. And, and I learned that a while ago, you know, um, when things break at home, uh, sometimes they can never be fixed, you know, and, 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 and most times they take weeks or months uh, to fix. So that's just something I think people should think about more often is like, problems at work things that break uh can be fixed very quickly and very easily and there's also other people that can fix them for you uh but but at home man if you let something bend to the point where it broke uh it, it is hard to repair it yeah no that's that's great advice and uh we'll, we'll leave it at that and but i appreciate you sharing that and and all the other stuff that you've shared on the on the podcast uh, there's a lot of really great nuggets of, of gold in there that people can can take and learn from so uh, thank you for being on the podcast, AC, and, and sharing all about drips and, and your personal life. Uh, and, you know, just thanks to the listeners for tuning in today. If you want to find out more, check us out at 20mile.co or follow us at 20mile20mileco. Uh, and if you, if you found this interesting, share it with at least one person. We're trying to get that viral. We want to be as viral as Atlas was back in 2017. Uh, and until then, uh, keep on marching. All right, guys. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Mike.